It's good to see y'all. See, I like this because normally at church, when they tell you to greet people, you like nod at one person. You're like, greetings. All right, and then sit. Y'all were like making connections, exchanging numbers. This was fun. Uh, well, hey, it is an honor to be here with you. Like I said earlier, my name's Ben Stewart. I'm a pastor, just moved to Washington, D.C., so pray for us. Uh, my wife and I moved up there because it's a city of young people. One out of every three people in the district is between the ages of 20 and 35. And we moved there because my passion and heartbeat is to meet people right in your range of life, many of you that are making huge decisions and are willing to leverage your life for some things that matter most. So it's exciting for us to be there. But man, it's good to be home back in Texas. It's good to be here uh, at the porch uh, because I know many of you know this, but if you're visiting and don't, the leadership here is absolutely incredible. And uh, these are some amazing men and women. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Pecluda, uh, one of uh, God's gifts to young people alive today. And man, last time I was here, the porch was just a, a humble little ministry to thousands of people in Dallas. Uh, and now you're like in El Paso and Oklahoma and Switzerland and everywhere else. And uh, in Houston, which is just amazing. And so if you're in Houston watching this, we're praying for you and we love you uh, and we're with you as you're going through uh, all that's ahead of you in the days to come recovery. And uh, it's an honor to pray with you. And uh, man, what a cool place to be. So love you guys, honored to be here, honored to jump in right at the front end of a series on dating and relationships and uh, to see what God might do with our time together. So uh, let me pray for us and then we'll jump in together. Sound good? Father, I wanna thank you for every person here. God, whether they're here and church is their favorite thing, they mark it on the calendar, little alarms go off every Sunday that they can't wait to be in church, they love this place, or whether they're here and, and, and aren't sure what to think about any of this. Wherever we land on the spectrum of how we deal with rooms like this and moments like this, I just thank you, God, that we're here. In all different rooms, in Fort Worth and El Paso and different places, we're here. And you've given us a moment to pause and to think about what our God thinks about us. And God, I pray as we think about what you think about, that we would care about what you care about. And so God, I'm asking tonight that you not just change our thinking, but you change the way we feel and change the way we live. God, I feel like you want some young men and women to be different forever tonight, that this is their night. And I can't produce that, the porch can't, but you can, God. And I just feel that tonight. And we just say yes to that, God. And I wanna invite you, if you're willing, that you would take a minute and just ask him, say, God, please teach me something tonight. And then if you would, please pray for me that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I became a youth pastor right out of college and one of my favorite things to do was to take our students rappelling. Uh, and we would take them to some mountain somewhere in Colorado and we'd go with one of those outfitters that had all the gear, had all the guides, and uh, they would strap our kids in and then send them off the sides of cliffs. But um, every time we did it, these guys would circle us up and they'd give us the speech. And it always started the same way. The guide would get up front and he would say, I want you to know every guide here today has been sending children off the side of mountains 
for over a decade. In that time, we've never lost a man, woman, a child. None of you will die today on the rocks below. Do you believe this? And as they would say it, all of us were like, we know, we know, we know, because we'd heard it before. But he's undaunted. He would say, and this rope could hold over 6,000 pounds of weight. It could hold up a Buick with all of you inside it. Wouldn't snap, twist, bend, break in the slightest. No one will die because of faulty equipment today. And we were like, we know, we know. And on he would go to the carabiners and whatnot, just explaining that we were going to make it alive today. And we would all say we know because we'd heard it. And then when it came time to rappel down the mountain, and many of you have been rappelling. You know, when you rappel, you don't climb down a mountain. You, you lean back onto the rope and you descend. As soon as that moment would start, half of the people would totally freak out. Uh, and weirdly, it was usually the guys, which I don't know why that was. Like, I don't know if like the guys just weren't paying attention during the instructions. They're like, wait, what are we doing? You know, or that. Or if it was the fact that the guide was like this young, cute guy that had huge biceps, like apparently everyone who works at Watermark. And uh, <laughs> he would just look in the girl's eyes and be like, just go ahead and lean back. And they were like, okay. And just off they would go. <laughs> like, all right. Uh, but it was the weirdest thing. Like these guys would get to the edge of the cliff and they would get there and they would just go, wait, no, wait, wait, no, stop. And you're like, like something was wrong. And you'd be like, whoa, is the, is the rope breaking? No. Is, is the carabiner snapping? No. Did, did he suddenly forget what he's doing? No. And yet on they would go, wait, hold on, no, wait, wait. wait. And, and, and they would end up prolonging the absolute least enjoyable part of the experience, right? And it was a fascinating thing to watch. And you go, why are you even bringing this up? What does this have to do with anything? Because here's the deal. 30 minutes before, you believe you're going to make it. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But when it comes time to trust it, your actions betray what you really believe. And you go, why are you talking about that? Because in 1 John, we're in this series, kicking off this series, which I love this idea where it says, first comes love. And in 1 John, the word love shows up 46 times. 46 times John talks about love. 27 of them in the passage we're going to look at tonight in 1 John chapter 4. And so the simple message of tonight is this. If you want to know it in advance, what's the message? Here's the message. You are loved. And if you are in Christ the most beautiful, powerful being in existence cherishes you. He likes you. He knows your name and he sees you tonight. But my guess is, when many of you hear that, you would say, I know. Like, that's your message tonight? Did you know God loves you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you flew here for that? Yes, I knew that. And yet it's a fascinating thing. In 1 John 4, he begins to tell us, he says in verse 16, so we have come to know and believe in the love God has for us. And then he gives us two attributes that characterize those who know and believe that God loves them. The first one's in verse 18. He says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. He says the people who know and believe they are loved by God are characterized by a fearlessness. They're not an anxious people. The people who know that they know they're loved by God aren't stressed, not fearful, not anxious. 
there's a wonderful, sweet confidence about them. And not only are they fearless, they're free. They're free to love other people. And you see it in verse 7 of the same chapter. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Fascinating thing about that. He says, beloved, let us love one another. And then he gives you a reason why, for, and he's going to tell you why we should love one another. But it's a fascinating thing. He doesn't point downstream. He doesn't say love one another and then God will reward you. Love one another or else God will be mad and punish you. There's no pleasure offered or no threat offered, but he gives a reason. What is it? He says, love one another. Why? Because love is from God. He points upstream. And everyone who knows God and loves God loves others. The beloved love. Love embraced becomes love extended. It's the most natural thing. So those people who know and believe that God loves them have a freedom to love other people. They walk into rooms like this with open hearts and open hands to care about the other and the issues going on in your life. And so it's fascinating. If I gave you a quiz tonight, did you know you're loved by God? I bet most of you would get it right. Are you loved by God, true or false? True! <laughs> but if I said, so your life is characterized by a fearlessness and freedom to love other people, I bet a lot of people in here would back away from that. Well, I don't know if that's true of how I roll into work every day. But those are the exact characteristics that are indicative of the person who knows and believes they're loved by God. So we say, yeah, I know it, but our actions betray what we really believe. Because here's the reality. We are afraid. We're an anxious people. And young people today have record levels of anxiety. Did you know that? Far more than your predecessors in this country. Anxiety marks this young generation. We are a fearful people. And you see it in dating. All the time when I talk to young people about dating, afraid that I'm going to mess it up because I saw my parents mess up their marriage. Afraid that marriage might mess up my life. I have goals and somebody might derail me. Afraid I'm going to miss out. Afraid that I'll never be satisfied. Afraid I'm not going to meet the one. Afraid that if I commit to the one, I'll miss out on the other. Afraid I won't be sexually fulfilled. There's so much fear that marks our intimacy with one another. And because we're fearful, we're an anxious people. And because we're an anxious people, we're not free to love other people. So we walk into rooms like this. And rather than thinking about, I wonder how you're doing and how I can bless you in your life, we're worried about how do I look, who sees me, who noticed me, who liked my post, who sees me, who values me. And we do things every day. We say things. And what's our sifting criteria for what we say? It's whether or not they'll think I'm funny, they'll think I'm cool, they'll think I'm wise, they'll think I'm valuable, they'll think I'm someone worth appreciating. I will be loved. We come in with a vacancy looking to fill it. Why? Because we are fearful. And we aren't free. And we're more insecure and inwardly focused than we are fearless and free. And here's the tragedy about that. The world is in desperate need of selfless love. It is. But you can't be a source if you don't have a source. You can't. So I remember a couple years ago, I had a friend go uh, scuba diving. And she went with one of those like crazy unsafe deals they do in the Caribbean where there's like they just give you like a 30-minute crash course on scuba, you know, and then just set you free in the ocean. Um, 
And so she did that and they paired her up. They give you like a swim buddy and they paired her up with like this middle-aged guy and uh, they both had their own scuba tanks, but you're supposed to be swim buddies, you know, and like point at fish together and just sort of enjoy the ocean together and, uh, and just swim along. And then if there's a problem, they give you like a series of gestures. I don't know what it is to let one another if those are the problem. But the two of them are swimming along and then all of a sudden, uh, something fails with his oxygen tank. Oxygen quits flowing, he can't breathe. Now there was a protocol, a series of hand gestures, and then a slow ascent to the surface as they share her aerator. But as soon as he realized, man, there was a desperation, panic set in. Scarcity led to desperation. Desperation, exploitation. He just grabbed her, began to shake her. And she's like, what is he doing? And then she, he grabbed the aspirator out of her mouth and shoved it into his mouth. And then he began to try to climb her like a ladder to get out of the water, which doesn't really work. What he was doing was drowning her. And so she was trying to figure out what has happened. This is not the hand gesture. And so finally she's having to like hit him back, right, to get him loose. And in a moment of panic, he just grabbed her because she had the oxygen tank on and he just swam full speed up to the top. Didn't adjust at all for depth. Gave both of them the bends. They got sick, right? And so after that, they were no longer swim buddies. <laughs> or any kind of buddies for that matter, right? And you go, but what happened? That scarcity led to desperation. That desperation, exploitation, right? If I have a source of life, I can be a source of life. If I lack a source of life, I'm gonna use you to try to get life. And you go, what does any of this have to do with dating? This is the foundation of it. This is why so many relationships go wrong. I come in empty looking for fulfillment, and so I have nothing to give to you. I'm trying to suck from you, meaning, value, acceptance from me, and I don't have much to give you. And I watch so many people get together that are trying to suck life out of one another, and that desperation leads to exploitation, and it doesn't last. And there's a better way that love must first be embraced before it can be extended. If I get a source of love, I can be a source of love. And if I have an eternal source of love, I can be an endless lover of you. And that's where healthy relationships start. You will never get a relationship with a guy or a girl right if you don't get a relationship with God right first. And so as I prayed about coming here tonight, there was so much I wanted to talk about, about dating, like communication, and so many of the unique challenges with technology and all these things, but I realized all that is just kind of tweaking the dials on a tank that doesn't work. You gotta get this right first, right? And yet some of us hear this and you go, well, Ben, I want that. I want to feel loved by God. I want to have a love of God that'll be the foundation of a healthy relationship. You saw in the woman at the well when Jesus came to her and he began to speak to her about thirst. He said, go call your husband. And she didn't have one. He said, no, you've had five. And now you're living with a guy that's not your husband. And he's not shaming her in that moment. Then he begins to talk to her about a deep soul thirst that he can satisfy. What's Jesus doing? He's saying to her, you've been looking in the arms of men for what only God can give. You've misdiagnosed your need. You have to get a relationship with me right before you'll get a relationship with them right. And that's where we have to start. And I know some of you want that. Like, I don't want to be insecure. I don't want to walk in the room self-absorbed and always feel like I'm not adding up. I don't want to come in trying to get people to approve of me like me. I want to be someone who is free to love other people in this world because I've been freely loved with the inexhaustible love of God. I want to feel that way. How do I feel it? How do I feel loved? 
Will the subjective affections burn off the fuel of objective truth? Feelings burn off truth. If you want to feel loved, you need to know you are. And you go, well, how do I know that? Well, take it out of the supernatural for a minute. Take it out of the love of God. How do you know you're loved by anybody? How do you know love exists? Can't see it? Can't touch it? What do you got there? A little cup of love? Got it for you? Can't do that. So how do you know love exists anywhere, in any relationship? How do you know it's working, right? Some of you would say, Ben, love is like the wind. You can't see it, and yet you feel the effects of it, right? And you'd be right. Think about your favorite books, your favorite romantic movies. When they want to show you love exists, what do they do? I would submit to you they do three things to show you love exists so that you know it and believe it. The first thing they show you is that love sends. It sends. Love initiates. Love cannot sit still. Love moves towards the beloved. Love sends texts. It sends emails. You will never see a guy when he suddenly realizes he loves a girl, not that she thinks she's cute or has some potential, but that he really loves her, like this is it, cashing out of singleness, love her, you will never see him sitting on his couch and realize that, I love her. Weird. <laughs> no! He's gonna rise and go to his beloved because that's what love does. Love sends text messages, it sends emails, it sends flowers, it sends the vibe. How you doing, baby, right? That's what love does. <laughs> Princess Buttercup says, I know my Wesley will come for me. How does she know? Because it's true love. <laughs> And when the beloved is over there, the lover will not sit still. The lover moves towards the beloved, and that's how you know love exists. It sins, and it sacrifices. Love will give itself for the beloved. So Jack will give up his life so that Rose can stay afloat on that door after the Titanic sinks. And some of you are going, isn't there enough room on that door for two? No, just no, just Rose. And that's it, but he did it, right? Frozen. Anna will step in front of that falling sword. Why? Because it's true love that falls the frozen heart, right? Bruno Mars, step in front of a train for you. He'll catch a grenade for you. Think about that. That's a pretty grim picture. Why would he say that? Because he knows that we know when you're willing to sacrifice like that, true love exists. It will surrender its body to the flames for the beloved. And true love stays. It stays. It delights in the beloved and will stay even when it's hard. So Noah will stay and read the notebook to Allie even though she has Alzheimer's and can't remember who he is. I had to read my notes on that one, guys. If you don't know what that one is, I didn't know either. But think about our wedding vows. What do we say when we want to declare before God and all of our friends we truly love the person we're up there with? What do we say? 
for richer or poorer, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. Why do we say that? Because all of us understand when someone declares, I'm staying with you if it's good and when it's not. I'm staying with you when it's great and when it's hard. I'm staying with you even when everyone else walks out. When we declare that, everybody knows true love exists because love stays. It sends, it sacrifices, it stays. And all the movies you love will keep going back to those things. Why? Because they know that we know that when you see those things, you know love exists. Why am I saying this? 1 John 4, 9. In this is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That word manifest, the root of it is the word light. When something happened, when this occurred, it shined a light on the reality that we're loved by God tonight. And for some of you, I'm praying that light goes on right now. In this, the love of God was made manifest before us. What? That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Love sends. And God sent his son. Didn't send a text. Didn't send an email. Didn't stop at just a prophet or a book. He sent the best messenger he had. He sent his son. The arrival of Jesus Christ on the planet is exhibit A of God's love for you. He will come from heaven to earth to live among us. Why? Because that's what love does. In this, the love of God is manifest that he sent his son. Why? So that we might live through him. It's interesting to be in a city like D.C., and I've been there two weeks, and already when people even hear that I'm a pastor, they start to put me in a lane where they think I'm someone who's just trying to read you a book to make you be a better person. And that's not what Christianity is. It's not read some rules and approximate your life to its teachings. It's be enraptured by a man who came for you. Be devastated by the beauty of a love of one who would come this far for you. How do you know you're loved by God? Love sins. Love sins. How do you know you're loved? Love sacrifices. Verse 10. In this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation's a big word, so let me explain it. It says, here's how love is manifest by God. He leapt over two barriers. The first barrier God leapt over was our indifference to him. And the second barrier he leapt over was his anger over the horrible broken things we've done to each other. That Jesus sacrificed for us, took on brokenness because of our brokenness. Why? Because love sacrifices, that's what it does. And it grabs this word propitiation because it's temple imagery of a sacrifice, right? It's interesting. The more I talk to people who don't know Jesus, don't care about religion, I never have to argue with them that we're not okay. Everybody believes there's something wrong with us. Everybody does. Science backs it up. Yale has an infant cognition center. 
And at Yale's Infant Cognition Center, you can read about it on Google, they've done studies to realize there is a morality in babies. Three-month-old, four-month-old, pre-verbal babies, a rough morality is present from the womb. And you go, how did they even know that if the kids can't talk? I can't go into all the details of it. It would take too long. Google it, read it. But basically what they do is these little morality plays with puppets. One puppet will share, another will steal. One puppet will help, another will hit, right? And then they present these puppets to the babies. And way beyond statistical significance, almost 100% certitude, they said it's fascinating, these pre-verbal babies, when they saw these morality plays played out, it's not just when they were offered the puppets, they preferred the good one. When they saw the good one, they would laugh, they would smile, they instantly saw good as beautiful, they would hug him. When they saw the mean puppet that stole and hurt people, they would cry, they would hit it, they instinctively knew it should be judged. <laughs> and so these people at Yale are like, there's morality woven into us from birth. And they were like, so here's the big question. If all of us know what is good and beautiful and what is bad and ugly, if we know that from birth, why do we all choose the bad? And Yale said, we don't know. They can't test that. But the Bible tells us that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. There's something wrong with all of us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said it, if only there were evil people out there insidiously committing evil deeds and all it were necessary to do would be to separate them and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. It does. There's something wrong with all of us. We know we're not okay. And the truth is, some of you, the shame of your sexual failure is what's kept you from singing every time you come to the porch. I see it all the time. We know something's wrong with us, and it saps away strength and joy, and I'm so tired of seeing it do it to young people with so much life. Shame steals joy, and we all know something's wrong with us, and we all know we can't fix it. I remember when my wife and I visited Italy, we were visiting one night, and one night we went to this little town in Cinque Terre, sat out by the water at this little venue, and we had dinner together, and there were these yuppies sitting next to us. And I used the technical term. They were young, urban, professional women from London, just like you, young, successful women from London, and they were there, and they were texting their friends. They were about to go party that night, and we, my wife and I were sitting having dinner, and they were over there, and they're like, oh, where are you from? Oh, where are you from? Oh, where have you been? Oh, what have we seen? And after a while, we scooted our tables together, and we started telling stories. We started laughing. After that, they texted their friends, canceled their plans. We all hung out. By the end of it, we had closed out the restaurant. The manager had come out. His son was serenading us and playing us some liqueur he had made out of, like, Drano or something. It was really uh, not good, but we just had this crazy party that night, and about an hour into it, they asked me, what do you do for a living? Which I love that it took an hour. Because if you ask me in the first five minutes and I say, well, I'm a preacher, boo, <laughs> like kills the conversation. But an hour in, we had a chance to establish a base of coolness. You know what I mean? And uh, so she asked, what do you do? And I said, I teach the Bible to young people. And she went, why? And her friend like hit her and I was like, no, that's totally fine. She was like, can I just tell you, I've never read the Bible ever and none of them had. And then the other one said, well, I have a question. And I said, well, what is it? 
And she said, why do religious people kill people? Why do religious people kill people? Because a terrorist had just blown himself up in the tube where some of her friends go to work. And I said, well, I don't kill people. I said, but I'll tell you this, if you take any human philosophy from Christianity to atheism to everywhere in between, they can all be twisted and turned dark. There's terrorist Hindus and Buddhists. And if anyone should be cooled out, it's like the Hindus, right? I mean, like, you got terrorists from, from every philosophy in human existence can be turned dark. I think what that shows you is that there's something wrong with us. And you know what's fascinating? She said, you're right. She said, I don't understand what, there are things I want to stop doing and I keep doing them and I don't even know why I keep doing the things I don't want to do. And she had no idea she was quoting Romans 7. <laughs> and then she looked at me and said, what's the solution? How do we fix it? And in the Old Testament, they had a picture and the picture was in the center of Jerusalem, the city of peace. There was the temple of God. And in the center of the temple of God was a room called the holiest of holies. And in the center of that room was a box. And in that box was the perfection of God etched into stone. And no one could obey that perfection. So no one was allowed in that room. And it was a picture of our distance from who we were meant to be before God. Because we're all wrong except for one day a year, the priest would take the blood of an innocent lamb. A lamb would die for us. It would pay for what we've done. And he would take that blood and he would put it on the lid of that box. And it was a picture that when God looks down, he no longer sees his violated law. He sees the payment of an innocent one for our violation and communion with God can be restored. That lid had a name, the hilasterion, the mercy seat, the propitiation. He says, Jesus Christ became that lid. He said, you're all wrong and distant from God and the source has been cut off and that eternal love can't flow through you, but I will come live the perfect life you could not and the debts you've incurred, I will pay. How do you know you're loved by God? He sacrificed for us. So right out of college, I had a friend who was great with money, in every way the opposite of me right out of college. Like we lived together as roommates and he would be in his room like with all of his receipts and like a spreadsheet, one of those little like visors that's you know green and like a little like you know abacus and he's just like, <laughs> doing his finances. And I was like, I've never seen anyone do that. And I'm not saying you should be like me. It was not a good place financially, but he was just so responsible. He knew his credit score always. <laughs> and I watched him fall in love with a girl. And he fell in love with a girl that through very irresponsible decisions in college had racked up an enormous mountain of debt. And I watched them struggle that he knew if I marry her, I have to pay back this debt for uh, decades. And she had a difficult family life. Like they had to have security and police at their wedding difficult. 
And he knew if I take that on, that doesn't get unmessy easily. And I watched my friend see the cost and I watched him gladly pay it. First time I ever cried in a wedding because I saw him up there and I knew what it was costing him, but he didn't care. He didn't rub it in like, yeah, for better or for worse. <laughs> he stood up there beaming because he said, I will take any cost for my beloved. That's what love does. How do you know you're loved? Look at the cross. It's Jesus Christ running for you, him seeing an obstacle of your sin that's stealing your joy and strength, and he says, I'll take it from you. I'll absorb that debt for you. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be right with God. How do you know you're loved? Because he sacrificed for us, and greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. So the latest naval warship is called the USS Michael Monsoor. And it's called that because in 2006, Michael Mansour's Navy SEAL team was challenged with clearing out insurgents from Ramadi. And in one moment, while he was on a roof with some of his teammates, a terrorist took a grenade and threw it in the midst of Michael and his friends. And Michael, without hesitation, dove on the grenade, absorbed its blast, in doing so, losing his own life but saving all of theirs. They gave his family the Medal of Honor highest award our country will give to somebody. And as the president read about what he did, he said this, death came that day for Mikey's friends. And Mikey said, you cannot take my brothers. I will go in their stead. Let me ask you a question. Do you think those men right now wonder if Michael loved them? You think they question if he valued them? If they do, they can remember that day. Do you question if heaven smiles on you? Do you lay alone in bed and wonder if anybody cares? Look at the cross. Greater love has no one than this, that he'd lay down his life for his friends. And that's what God does. Love sins, it sacrifices, and then it stays. He says in verse 13, by this we know we abide in him and he in us, he's given us his spirit. When you put your faith in Christ, God says, I stay with you. For better, for worse, sickness and in health, I stay. So I met a couple when I was in high school, the most beautiful couple I'd ever seen in life. I mean like intimidating beautiful. I, and I don't know if some of you know it, like the kind of beautiful that like, Stops all conversations in the room. Have you ever seen people like that? That you're talking with your friends, you're like, so anyway, I says to them. <laughs> the kind of people that make you instantly self-conscious when they walk up, they're like, hey guys, you're like, hey, why am I so stupid and weird and ugly and ah? <laughs> and you're like, what? Uh, uh, and they didn't put that on me. <laughs> but they were nice. They were the easiest couple to cheer for. He was a pro athlete. She was a model or should have been. I don't know, but they were amazing. And, <laughs> and they were going to get married. We were all going to go. The most beautiful wedding in existence. And then uh, on the way there, they find out uh, she's got MS. And she starts to have tr trouble using her hands. And as their wedding day got closer, uh, she couldn't lift her arms to, to comb her own hair. So she took him and she told him, 
you didn't sign up for this. You don't have to do this. There's a difficulty that comes with me that's not going to get easy, and you don't have to do this. And he told her, no. No, I want you. It's the second wedding I ever cried at. Because I watched as she choked up on the word sickness when it was time to say in sickness and health. He didn't. He looked her right in the eye and said, in sickness and in health, for better and for worse, I am not going anywhere. And that's what God just said to you. Do you see it? That's what he just said. He knows what you are. Some of you, that lie in your head says, well, he wouldn't love me if he knows what I've done. Well, he forgave me when I was a kid, but look how far I'm gone. He knows what he got with you. He's not shocked and surprised. I forgive. Oh, I didn't know what you were into. Sorry. (laughs) Don't belittle the sacrifice of Jesus by pretending your sin is too big. It's insulting. He's perfect and he's beautiful and he sacrificed for you and he looks you in the eye and says, I'm not going anywhere. You're loved. You're loved. Love sins. Love sacrifices. Love stays. And let me tell you something. When you get that, the text says, we love because he first loved us. When you understand this, you will enter into the world as a giver and not a taker, as a grantor and not an absorber you will be positioned to be in a healthy relationship because you have a source so you can be a source, right? Because the beloved love, love embraced becomes love extended. Last story. When I was uh, living in Dallas, I remember I had a friend come up to me after church and and she said, uh, hey, we got some extra tickets to a NASCAR race. Do you wanna go? I'd never been to NASCAR. Didn't care about NASCAR, but wanted to experience the social aspect of NASCAR. I'd never seen so many airbrushed t-shirts in my life. (laughs) And I was like, sure. So uh, it was her and her boyfriend and two of us buddies jumped in the car and we drove to NASCAR. And on the way there, the four of us are on the way there. And we said, how many tickets do we have? And she said something like 200, something crazy. And we were like, what? And she was like, yeah, it was like a corporate event that fell through. And they just gave me all the tickets last minute. I got them all. And as soon as she said that, we were like, we're going to sell them. We're going to make so much money off these NASCAR people. (laughs) And we were all excited about it. And then she was like, what? No. She was like, these tickets were freely given to us. And thus we must freely give. And we were like, ow. You know, because it sounded like Bible-y. You know, we were like. (laughs) So we show up and there's like this line off into the distance, you can't see the end of very stressed out people trying to get into NASCAR and there's no guarantee they're gonna make it, right? And as they're waiting in line to get tickets, I remember she just kind of sauntered up to someone in the middle of the line. And she was like, how many people you got? They were like, four. She just went, there you go. And you could tell they didn't believe, they're looking at her like, what is this? Some kind of like coupon, what is stupid? Like they just really blew her off, you're a fake, you're, you know? But they had nothing but time, they're waiting in this line, so they gave like a ticket to their kid and was like, I don't know, just go check it out. And I remember their kid walks up to the gate and the gate person just scans the ticket and lets the kid in. And the kid's like, I made it, I made it. 
You know, and they go off into NASCAR and this family's like, what? Like, can't believe it. And they're looking at her like, how could you, why could you, how was this? And they're all going in like crying like, we love you. And off they go in. And then this little buzz breaks out among the crowd and we would just walk among them. We were just like, how many people you got? And uh, it was crazy because no one came up to us and was like, give me tickets. But they all like started to get near us. They're like, hey guys, first time in NASCAR? I love it. Got my bail and hard on. And they would just talk to us and we just handed out tickets. It became like the coolest thing ever, right? And we did that for I don't know how long till we ran out of tickets. And uh, then we went in because we had our tickets. So we went in and we just thought like we had let all those people in. Oh, that was kind of fun. We went in. We didn't think, oh, it's a block of tickets. So we walk in, turn the corner and they're all like, hey, we're like, hey, and like again, this party at NASCAR. Right? And you go, what does that have to do with anything? Um, how could we be so generous? How could we be so generous to people we don't even know? Because we had tickets. We were fine. So we could give tickets. We had a source. So we could be a source. Right? And that's what I want for you. The heavens smile on you if you're in Christ. And when you understand that tonight, your failure doesn't define you. Your shame doesn't define you. The thing you did again last night doesn't define you if you're in Christ. You're loved. I don't care what your mommy or daddy said or didn't say. If you're in Christ, you're loved. And when you fix your eyes on the sacrifice of Jesus for you, when you see what he did for you, when you know that love, love embraced becomes love extended. It's the easiest thing and the most beautiful way to live. Let me pray for us. God, I just want to thank you that the message from heaven tonight is not stop screwing up and maybe someday I'll smile on you. The message from heaven tonight is not get your crap together. The message from heaven tonight is even if you're a long, long way off, the Father runs because the beloved will always chase after the loved. Thank you, God, that the message is even if we are buried in sin and shame, we have a savior who came to pay for it, absorb it, bury it in the grave and leave it behind. Thank you that if we feel isolated and alone, we have a God who says, I wanna abide with you forever. Thank you, God, that the message of heaven before we do a thing is that we are loved. And when we get that, when we know it and believe it, then we are a fearless people. Then we are free. And God, I think there's people in here that maybe they've never really understood that that's what's being offered. And I just pray tonight they'd realize that's who Jesus is. Not a great moral teacher, though he was that. Not, not a motivational speaker. He was the lover running for the beloved, the sacrifice to pay our debt, the husband who stays. 
And God, I believe there's some people in here tonight that maybe for the first time wanna wanna believe that, wanna put their faith in you, wanna say, I wanna be a child of God. If you're forgiving, forgive me. If you're rescuing, rescue me. If you're adopting, adopt me. I want in the family, I wanna be loved by God like that. And I wanna ask you, if that's you, I don't wanna make this a real weird moment. I'd love if everyone's eyes would just stay closed. But if you're here tonight and you're saying, that's me for the first time in my life, I wanna put my faith in Jesus. I believe he loves me like that. Would you be willing to put a hand up? I could just see you. Okay, I see down front here. Okay, see, there's a couple of you on the right. Down front here, a couple folks. It's awesome, it's awesome. Praise God. It's beautiful. God, and I just believe there's some people in here that maybe they've been in church a long time. They've been doing this thing a long time. But when they lay in bed at night, the voice of shame and condemnation is so loud. And I just think tonight, God, that you want to sing a different song over us, that we're loved. And Lord, I believe there's some people in here that have struggled to believe that even this week because of what they've done. And I want to challenge you if that's you. I just want you to to thank him even now. Thank him for loving you in the midst of your brokenness. Thank him for not walking out in the midst of what you're struggling with. Thank him that he's never gonna leave you, but he commits to walk with you through the fire, through the flame, through the mess until you see the light of the sun again. Thank him even now for being a lover of your soul like that. You don't have to make him any promises or guarantees tonight. You just have to receive tonight the inexhaustible love of God. Father, I pray that as we believe it, as we know it, may our coworkers feel it, may our friends see it, that we come in with something to offer. Thank you, God, that that's our message. Heaven smiles on these children tonight. Thank you, God, that you love us.